You are listening to episode one of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter one, Diurnia System, 2372, December 10th. Ships at a distance have every man's wish on board. As Agamemnon closed the distance to Diurnia orbital, I wondered whose wishes we carried, and how the men aboard ships ever caught up with the wishes of their own. I snorted quietly as I realized every other ship in the universe was at a distance from the Agamemnon. I wondered which one carried my wish. Skipper? Mr. Hill heard me snort, and I glanced over to where he regarded me from the helm. A smile quirked the corner of his mouth. I shook my head. Nothing, Mr. Hill, just considering how far away all the other ships are. His brow furrowed slightly. That's a good thing, isn't it, Captain? I stood up from the duty station and stretched, twisting my torso back and forth and gazing out at the darkness around us. Indeed it is, Mr. Hill. Indeed it is. He gave a little nod of incomprehension before returning to his helm displays. I smiled at the back of his head and considered how far we'd come in the few months since I'd taken over the Agamemnon. It gave me a feeling of satisfaction to know that we'd weathered some storms, hauled some freight, and made good profit doing it. I sighed a little and walked over to peer out of the armor glass at the glowing orb of Diurnia dead ahead. What would you wish for, Mr. Hill? Sir? If you had a single wish that could come true when we get into port, what would it be, Mr. Hill? I turned to face him then and leaned my shoulders back against the cold glass, crossing my arms over my chest. A wish, Captain. Yes, a wish. If your ship came in, metaphorically speaking, what wish would it bring you? He addressed the helm and made a minor adjustment while he considered the question. After several long moments, he looked up and shook his head slightly. I really don't know, Skipper. Since you've come aboard, things have been... He paused and shrugged. Well... Interesting is probably the best word, sir. You know that's an ancient curse, don't you, Mr. Hill? Yes, sir, I do, he grinned. It hasn't always been what I'd call fun, sir, not all of it, but it's been challenging and profitable. At one time, I just wished I could find a berth on a decent ship. I got that, thanks to you. He grinned again and buried his gaze back in the helm's display. I turned to look back out at the star-spattered darkness. The subdued lighting on the bridge minimized reflections, and I had a clear view of Diurnia as I watched the orbital station emerged from behind the small blue-gray disk of the planet. The silvery can appeared as barely more than a speck glimmering against the blackness beyond. What about you, sir? What's your wish? He gave voice to the question in my head. I'd like to have my cake and eat it too, Mr. Hill. I just don't know how to make that happen. Your cake, sir? I could hear the amusement in his tone. Yes, Mr. Hill, my cake. I didn't elaborate, and he didn't press. I let the memory of her sapphire-studded smile slosh around in my brain pan for a bit and then banished the thought once more. Each time it became harder to banish. Each time my resolve wavered a bit more. Each time I became more certain that some things could never be. The chrono clicked over to 0500, and the rich smells of breakfast began to waft up the ladder from below decks. I sighed and returned to my station to get ready for the watch change. I finished up my log entries and idly scanned the traffic lists for break-all, still caught in that odd, contemplative mood. On a whim, I changed the sort order to show the ships most distant from Agamemnon. While I watched, the scanners added another ship to the bottom of the list, Ephemeral, 
a fast packet registered in Dinsony Roads. You're a long way from home, I muttered. Mr. Hill looked over at me with one eyebrow raised. Nothing, Mr. Hill. Idle mutterings. He turned back to his display. Nothing much is idle with you, Skipper. I snorted a short laugh as Ms. Thomas clambered up the ladder to the bridge, followed closely by Ms. Arione. Watch change went smoothly, and I took a quiet satisfaction in the way Ms. Arione had developed into a productive member of our crew. We'd been long enough underway and changed enough watches that Ms. Thomas and I had long since stopped comparing notes on our newest shipmate. Even Mr. Hill, the most reticent of our merry band to accept the former brig rat and bar brawler, seemed to be adjusting to her presence. Miss Arione passed the ratings exam on the way out of Diurnia, and I'd promoted her back to Able Spacer on my own. Technically, I should have asked permission from home office, but knowing Maloney's attitude toward the young woman, I presented them with a fait accompli rather than ask permission to do what I knew to be right. Worst case, I'd have to rescind it, but I didn't think Maloney would be that vindictive. Mr. Hill followed me off the bridge, and we separated at the foot of the ladder. With a nod, he went down one more level toward the galley and crew quarters, and I turned toward the cabin, only to meet my chief engineer waiting for me outside the door. "'Good morning, Skipper.' She smiled and handed me a cup of coffee. "'Can we talk?' I accepted the coffee and took a sip before replying, buying myself some time. Eventually I had to agree and opened the door to the cabin, leading the way in. Entering the cabin on the Agamemnon always caught me by the heart. It didn't matter that I'd just come from the bridge with the armor-glass windows on all sides. There was something about the panoramic stretch of the deep dark that met me when I walked through the door that always made my heart skip a beat. I think it was the combination of comfortable living room and star-studded darkness. Dreading the conversation that I feared was coming, I still took some comfort from the magnificent view and led the way to the conversational grouping. I sat on one couch and nodded for Chief Gerhardt to take the seat across from me. We settled into our seats, and I leaned forward, propping my elbows on my knees and placing the heavy white mug onto the glass-topped table between us. It took me a moment to get enough gumption to look over at her, but eventually I steeled myself and hoped I presented a cool enough exterior. She sat across from me, legs curled under her, arm along the back, looking as comfy as a cat in the sunlight, and regarded me with sad eyes. You want to talk about it, Ishmael? Her voice was soft but steady. Talk about what? I didn't stand on ceremony with my officers in private, but having you use my name like that sent a jolt through me. Why, you've been avoiding me this trip? Her inflection rose at the end, making her statement a question. Perhaps, what the hell is going on with you? Her eyes flashed sapphire and nearly blinded me, or maybe it was just my own eyes betraying me. I wanted to say, nothing's wrong, or perhaps, I haven't been avoiding you, or any number of other denials that sprang immediately to mind. I sighed. You're an amazing woman, Greta. You affect me in ways I don't even want to think about, but I'm the captain, and I can't pursue the kind of relationship I'd like. Her eyes crinkled in amusement, and the sapphires in them danced as the left side of her mouth curled in a sardonic grin. Humble, too. Her voice carried a hint of gently mocking amusement. She caught me off guard, and I chuffed a bark of laughter in response. Sorry, you asked. I'm a terrible liar, so I try not to do it very often. She pursed her lips. So you're telling me you've been avoiding me because you've got the hots for me and you can't control yourself? I shrugged one shoulder. Actually, I can control myself, but I find it difficult to do, and more difficult as time goes on. 
I have a policy about fraternization. It's been with me from the beginning, and I can't see me breaking that rule now. It's not like you've been throwing yourself at me. I'm just... My voice trailed off. What was I? Hurt? Vulnerable? I didn't even know how she felt about me, and here we were, sitting across from each other, having this stupidly intimate conversation. The moment stretched out, and just as I was about to answer, she spoke instead. I see. I looked up at her. She still had that semi-amused expression on her face. Do you? No, not really. You're assuming I have no say in this. Isn't that a bit paternalistic? Her calm words shocked me, and I could feel my face flushing. I hadn't thought of it that way. She was right, of course. I ducked my head to stare into my coffee mug so I wouldn't have to look at her. She sighed. Of course you didn't. You're the captain. You're the man. You set the rules, and the rest of us dance to your tune, whether we like it or not. Her voice was tinged with exasperation. Her tone pricked me. You have some complaints about how I run this ship, chief. I snapped at her and regretted it even as the words left my mouth. She shook her head briefly. No, captain. She gave the title special emphasis. You have turned the ship around since you've been here, giving us all new life. She paused, staring into my face without flinching. That's how you're running your life that worries me. What's the matter with the way I'm running my life? The hardness in her face softened a bit. You're an idiot. Her warm smile diffused the sting, and even her eyes danced with mirth. You've just had a series of major upheavals in your life, starting with that horror show of a derelict salvage, making captain, dealing with this mess. She paused to wave her hands around the room, indicating the ship at large. Divorcing your cheating wife, and even giving her a nice settlement. You bucked the owner to take on a brig rat, even gave her a promotion, and you can't even take care of yourself. Her recitation left me with my mouth hanging open. Coming from anybody else, that probably would have felt like a brutal summary, but I had to admit everything she said was true. I recovered enough to close my mouth and swallow before responding. How do you know she was cheating? Her eyes bulged and she pursed her lips, but she just shook her head. Never mind. Did you hear any other word I said? I sighed and nodded, staring at my hands so I didn't have to look across at her big, macho captain man that I was. Well? Well what? I answered without looking up from my hands. She gave an exasperated sigh. You're a mess, Ishmael. We all know it. You're working so hard to take care of us that it's taking its toll on you. You have a standard that you think is right. I looked up at her sharply and started to speak. She held up a hand to forestall my interruption. You have a standard that you think is right but it's getting in the way of your life. You don't screw with crew, as you so charmingly put it. Fine. But now you're in a pickle, aren't you, Captain, my Captain? I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. This is not a conversation we should be having. I beg to differ. If we don't have it, who should? She paused for a moment. Ishmael, look at me. I opened my eyes. You've got yourself a knots over me. Say it. I took a deep breath and let it out before replying. I've got myself in knots over you. There. That wasn't so hard, was it? She smiled at me as if I were a small boy who finally tied his shoes for the first time. As it happens, you big romantic son of a gun, I think you're a hell of a guy. But she paused and gave me the puppy dog eyes that told me what was coming next. But not that way. 
She was trying to be nice, I knew. It was the let-him-down-easy talk. It didn't work, but that was her intent, and I was grateful for the attempt. I'm sure my face went as red as if she'd slapped me. Unfortunately, she wasn't done. You're not like other captains. You didn't presume on my person because you could, but you've been an ass about it for weeks, moping about the ship, leaving the room when I enter, not even looking at me across the table in the mess, and I sit right across from you. The roaring in my ears built to the point where I could only barely make out her words as each one struck home, as each burned with truth and I recognized what an idiot I'd been. The air went out of me in a rush and my head fell forward, bouncing on my neck like the bobblehead I apparently was. She let me stew for a tick or two before going on. Thank you for being a decent human being, Ishmael, but next time, before you start getting your shorts in a knot, remember that there are two adults involved. Try talking together before you make any more sweeping, patronizing decisions about what's proper. You can save yourself a lot of grief. Her soft voice carried a backing of titanium. Sorry, Greta, I mumbled into my coffee as I picked up the mug to hide behind it. She gave a sad little chuckle as she rose, leaving me to my cooling coffee and heated face. I am too, Captain. The latch on the cabin door clicked quietly when she closed it behind her. I leaned back on the couch and gazed out of the forward port. Remembering my earlier conversation with Mr. Hill, I recalled another old curse. Be careful what you wish for, I muttered. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Chapter 2 Diurnia System, December 14th, 2372. Three days out of Diurnia, the universe took an unpleasant twist to the left. At 2340, I headed to the bridge to relieve Mr. Paul. When I got there, I found him hammering on his systems console and Mr. Schubert staring numbly at the drop-down repeater on the overhead. A series of newswire items ran in a loop, and a talking head video clip played silently, the female anchor's moving image superimposed on a stock photo of Jeff Maloney. The headlines were all variations on the same theme. Shipping magnet, dead. Report, Mr. Paul. I grabbed the local newswires about a stand ago. Just updated systems, Captain. I found this. What happened? Heart attack, they're saying. Seems pretty consistent across all sources. When? He consulted a pop-up display, and I could see the timestamp translations. They discovered the body about five stands ago. He jerked a thumb at the overhead. That's about four stands old, so it was canned right after the news broke. Any message, Traffic? He shook his head. Nothing yet, Skipper. I keep pinging, but nothing's coming back from home office. It's the middle of the night there now. I plunked down in the vacant watchstander's seat and pondered. 
Who's second in command at home office these days, William? Is it still Shelby Bloom? He hammered his keyboard a bit and gave a shrug. According to this document, it's a man named Ames Jarvis. He looked at me with a curious frown. Isn't that the guy who came to see you on break call? Yes, Mr. Paul, it is, unless there are two of them in the organization. I thought he was the break call station chief, Skipper. I did too, Mr. Paul. How recent is that source you're using for reference? He slapped another window open. Three months, Skipper. Last updated in late September. He slapped another few keys. A query sent. We'll have it in... He looked up at the chronometer in the corner of his console. About a stand. Mr. Hill joined us on the bridge and nudged a fresh cup of coffee onto the watch station for me before tapping Mr. Schubert to relieve the watch. Watch change, Mr. Paul. I'll relieve you if you can spare a moment. He nodded, almost absent-mindedly, pulled up a fresh view on his second screen, and I could see the log updating on the watch station in front of me as he typed. He banged the enter key and his window closed. It's yours, Captain. His fingers beat another few brief tattoos on the keyboard in front of him before he turned in his chair to look at me. Orders, Captain. Get some sleep, Mr. Paul. I suspect we won't know much until the chain of command gets squared away on the orbital, and even then the first thing they'll need to do is damage control with the media. Any ideas what they'll do, Skipper? I took a deep breath and blew it out before responding. Well, if we don't sail, we don't make money, so whatever it is, it probably won't change things here. I hope that I was right. Diurnia Salvage and Transport was not a publicly traded company, and Maloney wasn't just the CEO. He was also the largest stockholder. I wondered what Mrs. Maloney would do with controlling interest. The talking head showing on the pull-down display changed to show a different head, a distinguished-looking man speaking earnestly into the pickup. The crawl under the image read, CPJCT Rep Dies. Long-time member dies of heart attack. A seat on the Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Train would be hard to fill. He'd been a champion of shipping companies for decades. Along the way, he'd done a lot of good for crews and never seemed to have forgotten that without the crews, the ships did not sail. Some cynical voices might argue that he had done that by mistake, but I knew Maloney did nothing by mistake. Does that seem odd to you, Skipper? Mr. Hill watched his helm with one eye on the monitor. I scanned my proximity sensors and got a good look at the ship's status while I mulled the question over before answering. In what way, Mr. Hill? Who dies of a heart attack these days, sir? Mr. Paul glanced at him, and even Mr. Schubert frowned. Mr. Hill? His heart just stopped beating. Probably one of the richest men in the sector. How is that even possible, sir? Unless it just blew up in his chest or he was cut off from everybody and everything so nobody noticed and he couldn't call for help? Mr. Hill shook his head. It just doesn't seem right to me, sir. I shrugged as Mr. Paul turned his attention to me. I know, Mr. Hill, but that's the story. So until we get more information, we really can't do more than speculate. And I think we have a ship to sail here. He took the hint, and I nodded at the repeater screen. If you'd cut that, Mr. Paul, we'll get on with getting home safely. He nodded, and a few key taps later, the screen darkened again. I've put a filter on the incoming traffic, Skipper. Anything from home office will be flagged and routed to both of us as soon as it hits the ship. We sat in stunned silence for a dozen heartbeats before Mr. Schubert stirred himself and headed for the ladder. Mr. Paul followed, but I wondered how much sleep he'd get. Mr. Hill and I settled into keeping the ship on course. We were only a few days out of Diurnia, and whatever else, we'd be there soon enough. I wondered why Jarvis had been on break call, claiming to be the section head there. I pondered Mr. Hill's point about dying of a heart attack. With all the technology we had to keep people alive, he would have had to either been cut off from aid or died very suddenly. 
I sat back in my chair and contemplated the darkened repeater screen on the overhead, replaying it in my mind. He died at home, not at medical. I sighed and shook my head. Yeah, I know what you mean, Captain, Mr. Hill offered in reply. The chrono had just clicked over to 0335 when the incoming message alert flashed on my screen. It wasn't the normal traffic router, but the special one that flagged traffic from home office. I opened it and read the short message. At approximately 1940, on 14 December 72, Mr. Jeffrey Maloney succumbed to a heart attack in his apartment on Diurnia Orbital. Security personnel found his body when he failed to attend a scheduled meeting. Medical personnel were unable to revive him. He was alone in the apartment at the time. Operations are to proceed normally until further notice. All ships and crews are instructed to continue their voyages during this difficult time and to maintain delivery schedules and contracts while the board of directors deals with the emergency. Contingency plans have been activated, and Mr. Ames Jarvis, recently deployed to Breakall, is the interim CEO pending board ratification. We will keep you informed as soon as we know anything more. Our sincerest condolences go out to the friends and family. The message was from Kirsten Kingsley, head of operations for Diurnia. I routed it to the console on the mess deck and sent a copy to Mr. Hill at the helm. He grunted as if punched when he read it. Silently, we sailed on toward the expanding disk that was Diurnia. We docked at Diurnia safely and without incident on the afternoon of December 17th. The mood aboard was more worried than somber. All the crew had seen Jeff Maloney, of course, but I was the only one of them that had significant interaction with him. Even I couldn't say I knew him personally. When we docked, Miss Kingsley met us, coming aboard as soon as we'd cleared Confederation customs. The tired-looking brunette in a severely tailored suit had a slim portfolio tucked under one arm. The hollows under her eyes made me think that the suit might be the only thing holding her up. I met her at the lock and escorted her to the cabin while Miss Thomas established the portside watch and declared liberty. The crew did not immediately stream off the ship, but rather huddled on the mess deck waiting for news, I suspected. As we settled onto the sofas with a tray of coffee and cookies between us, courtesy of Avery Wyatt's forethought, I thought she blew out a sigh. I must have looked at her oddly. Sorry, Captain. She accepted the coffee and gave a small, tight laugh. It's been a very hectic few days, and I suspect it's only going to get worse. I can only imagine... I gave her a moment to sip her coffee and let her push the tray of cookies away. How can I help you, Miss Kingsley? Kirsten, please. She paused for another sip, or maybe to gather her thoughts before speaking. As you might imagine, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. A power shift of this magnitude has the sharks circling. I didn't know. The situation was well outside my area of expertise, but I nodded for her to continue. The company has emergency plans in place to deal with the situation, although we never thought we'd need them. I don't suppose anybody ever does. There's a service on the 18th. God, that's tomorrow. Family only and down on the planet, although I'm not sure who all will attend. There's not many of his family here anymore. She took another sip of the coffee, pausing to blow on it a bit first. The CPJCT will hold a public memorial at their offices here on Breakall and another at Port Newmar. Her face twisted into a grimace. It's not often they lose one while in service, so they'll play it for all it's worth. How's the media? Are they pestering crews? She shook her head. There were a few who tried to interview crew from the Achilles. She was in port when it happened. No sobbing crewmen, no angry fist-shaking, so she shrugged and looked at me. No story. What'd they expect? 
I don't think they expected anything, truthfully. They were fishing. They were hoping to find some dirt to trot out. A man like Jeff doesn't get to be where he is without making a few enemies. I toasted her with my coffee mug. That's true enough. She gave me a steady look across the table. You're not one of them, are you? One of his enemies? She nodded her head slowly. I shook mine in response. I'm just a captain in his fleet. He was my boss. Nothing much beyond that. For the first time since she came aboard, I saw a flash of humor in her eyes. Uh, right. Sure. What? Is there something I don't know? She chuffed out a laugh. Captain Ishmael Wong, hand-picked by the man himself from the graduating class at Port Newmar, transported to Diurnia in his private yacht. You cleaned up that festering boil that was the William Tinker, worked your butt off to make captain in record time, got assigned the worst ship in the fleet, and in less than a stanier you've turned that ship around from being the berth we threaten people with to the one we have a waiting list to get on. She toasted me with her mug. Just a captain. Seems to be a bit of an understatement, even for you, Captain Wong. I snorted a short laugh of my own. I got lucky a few times. Yeah, well, luck hells, but you've done well, and there are those that think that Jeff Maloney's hand was behind a lot of it. The silence in the cabin grew for a couple of ticks before I shrugged. I've wondered that myself. You're about to become very rich. You know that, don't you? I blinked at the sudden shift in the conversation. She smiled at my confusion. When the Chernyakova gets sold, you'll be a millionaire, Captain Wong. Several times over. I blew out my breath. I wasn't sure where she'd been going with that line, and my heart seemed to have stopped for a moment. Oh, yes, well, we don't know how much it'll go for, and I'm not sure what my share of it will be. I gave a half-shrug. I'm trying not to think about it until it happens. The news about Maloney's death had completely tossed all thoughts of the pending salvage auction out of my mind. Will DST put in a bid? I asked. She shook her head. No. Ames is on his way back already. He'll be here in a couple of weeks. Under the circumstances, we're holding up any major changes to the fleet until we get the new CEO up to speed. Who's the new CEO? The new majority stockholder, of course. Christine Maloney. I frowned. That name didn't ring any bells with me. Is that Mrs. Maloney? She shook her head, and I had the uneasy sense that she fought to contain a grin. Mrs. Maloney left Stan years ago took her settlement and her masseuse off to Venice somewhere. Christine is his daughter. Sole heir. Thirty-one. Likes her nightlife, I understand. I sipped carefully before speaking. And she's the new CEO? Uh-huh. I glanced over to where Kirsten studied my face over the rim of her cup. What does she know about running a shipping company? Not one damn thing. Why don't you look more worried? I had a very bad feeling about the look she gave me. Because she's not my problem, Captain. She put a slight emphasis on the word my that set off a warning klaxon in the back of my mind. Whose problem is she? Kirsten picked up her mug, sipped without answering, and without taking her eyes off me. I could feel my eyes getting round in their sockets as the implication of what she was not saying began to sink in. She's my problem? The smirk broke free, and Miss Kingsley gave a little nod. I sat very still, trying to figure out how a 31-year-old woman, heir to one of the oldest shipping lines in the quadrant, could suddenly become my problem. Only one entirely ludicrous explanation seemed possible, and I blurted it even as the thought formed. You want me to train her? The smirk turned into a grin. 
Right first time, Captain. But I don't know anything about running a shipping line. The grin softened to a smile that I might have found quite charming if I hadn't been so distracted. No, Captain, we want her to learn what it's like on a ship. We, I asked, the board of directors and her father. Maybe you should start from the beginning. She nodded and put her coffee cup carefully on the table. Good idea. She steepled her fingers in front of her nose and mouth and blew out softly, brow furrowed. Mr. Maloney has a deal for you. You're under no obligation to accept it, but he thinks, thought, it would be something you'd be willing to take on. This is the same Mr. Maloney who's now deceased? Yes, Captain. Mr. Maloney took some rather extraordinary steps over the last few stanyards. I leaned back, laying an arm across the back of the sofa. And I figure in those plans. She gave a curt nod. Some of them, Captain, which is why I'm here. She pulled the tab on her portfolio and slipped out large envelopes, placing them carefully on the table beside her mug. Your last performance evaluation of Miss Thomas was quite complimentary. I frowned and looked at the envelopes. She's come a long way in a stanier. Getting her hearing loss diagnosed and treated made all the difference. So did giving her a strong role model. We've had our eye on her for a while. After her last failed board, Jeff dug a little and pulled in a few favors. He used his position to get a copy of the confidential report from her board. I could feel my eyebrows bounce at my hairline. I didn't think that was even possible. When you own the cookie jar, you get your choice of cookies, Captain Wong. She gave me a small smile before continuing. Her last board only failed by the smallest of margins. The crux of it was her abrasive personality and her fitness reports from Captain Delman. I felt my eyebrows return to a more normal line. She's a good officer. The changes in her over the last few months have been remarkable, but I, I credit that to Avery Wyatt as much as anything. Wyatt, the cargo chief? They're an item. Interesting. Her voice was so low I almost didn't catch it, but she shook her head as if dislodging a fly from her nose before continuing more strongly. At any rate, the string that Jeff pulled got her a new board. She slid the first envelope across the table to me. That's her formal invitation. She's due at CPJCT in the morning. That would have happened regardless, by the way. Events of the last week notwithstanding, we expected to get Miss Thomas her ticket. I smiled happily. That's excellent news. I'd planned to put her up when we pulled in, but I haven't had a chance yet. Now you don't have to wait. We've managed to reconvene her last board. She should have her master's license by the 21st. That bit of news made me blink. How can you be so sure? I know how it works. I'm assuming you're willing to write a letter of recommendation to the board. Well, of course, but I don't see how that'll matter. Between your letter, the late Mr. Maloney's interest, and Miss Thomas's performance review, it should be enough. She has to pass the written exam, which she's done easily more than once. It's not a done deal, but we're pretty sure they'll find in her favor this time. What has this got to do with Christine Maloney and me? She pushed a second envelope across the table. You're fired. She said the words with a broad grin on her face. Her expression didn't match what she'd just said, and the response didn't seem to answer my question. What? She put up both hands in a placating gesture. Hang on, Captain, let me explain. I could barely hear her for the blood rushing in my ears. You've got my attention. Sorry, Captain, that was mean of me. I nodded acceptance of her apology and waited for her to go on. She folded her hands together in front of her. In about two weeks, you're going to become very wealthy. According to Ames, the winning bid in the Chernyakova salvage job will come in at around a gig. Your share of that as leader of the prize crew will be substantial. 
even after the insurance company recovers their slice of the pie. Everyone who was a member of the Tinker's crew at the time will get a good piece. But those of you who served on the prize crew will get the most. After the company, of course. How substantial are we talking about here? I frowned in concentration, trying to knit all the various strands together in my head. Something in the order of ten. Ten? Ten thousand? She smiled and shook her head. Ten million. The number echoed in my mind. I'd hoped that maybe I'd see a hundred thousand out of it. Ten million credits? I was having a little trouble breathing, and my mind seemed to have stopped processing. Captain Wong, that was the richest prize ever salvaged in Diurnia. Usually when a ship is recovered, it's a burned hulk, or worse. You brought back the ship and the cargo intact. Even after the insurer gets their cut, it's going to be a very large settlement. When the news breaks, the media frenzy will make the death of a shipping magnet disappear like water in a vacuum. But I ran out of steam. I really didn't know what to say. I can put you in touch with some financial advisors. In fact, I'd urge you to hire a tax accountant today if possible. But you're not going to be the only new millionaire in the company. We expect we're going to lose most of the crew of the Tinker, and Captain de Groot will have her retirement eased greatly, not that she was hurting to begin with. Lose the crew? They'll be too rich to want to work for us. I goggled at her. Moving a bit fast, she actually sat back and smiled at me. She looked much older than I first thought. Yes, just a bit. I held up a fist. Let me see if I have these right. I flipped up my index finger. We're pushing Miss Thomas into the captain's board tomorrow, and you expect she'll have her ticket within a few days. Yes. I added my thumb. I'm fired, so I'm assuming you're planning on giving the Agamemnon to her. Yes, very astute. I added my middle finger to the digital bouquet. You're expecting that I'm going to train your new CEO in how to run a ship so she gets a better appreciation about how to run a shipping company? That seemed like a bit of a stretch to me, and I wasn't sure that's where she was going. Yes and no, Kirsten grimaced. We want you to show her why she shouldn't run the business and convince her to turn over the company to Ames. I blinked at her. She shook her head. No, I, I said that badly. She screwed up her face and thought. While you're thinking, explain why I'd help you after you fire me. I released my fingers. When I'm no longer on the payroll, what's in it for me? Miss Kingsley nodded. Okay, you've got the main points. Let me walk you through it in sequence. I waved for her to continue and topped off my coffee from the carafe. Mr. Maloney's will stipulates that on his death, his majority interest in DST goes to his daughter, Christine. Because it's not a publicly traded company, she becomes the de facto chairman of the board because, with controlling interest, she can dictate to the board. She's not, yet, and the way the board has always dealt with it, the way Mr. Maloney and his father and his grandfather before him wanted it, was the board provides the fig leaf of corporate legitimacy and the operational control of the company is in the hands of the majority stockholder. It's been a family company for over a century, so the scheme has always worked. I frowned in concentration. As long as there's an heir to the throne. Exactly. There's always been a Maloney in the wings ready to step up and take the reins. Until now. Until now. Mr. Maloney recognized that about five stanyards ago and set about rectifying the situation by adding a codicil to his will. Christine gets nominal ownership of the stock, but it will be held in trust for one standard year. She's old enough, isn't she? Miss Kingsley's mouth curled in a smirk. Yes, but she has to do something before she can claim the inheritance. She has to get a job on a ship and stick it out for a stanyard. 
I could feel my face twist into a mask of confusion. Well, I suspect DST has a few ships that might be willing to take her on. Ah, you see, that's a problem. It can't be one of our ships. What? She can't sign on to any of DST's ships. The power differential and potential for abuse there is just too large. I saw it immediately. What happens if she doesn't take it out? She doesn't get the stock. It reverts to the company with the instructions that DST goes public. The stock gets converted to common and the board of directors controls that process. She'll get a cash settlement and a block of preferred in a new company, but not controlling interest. DST will cease to be a family company. If that happens, there are a whole set of financial transactions that will occur to clear out some old debt, streamline the operation, and regularize finance. But her inheritance is greatly reduced, is what I'm hearing you say. Yes. Her mouth straightened into a firm line. If she can do it, she gets controlling interest in the company and earns the right to try to run it. If not, Miss Kingsley shrugged, she'll still be rich, but not as rich and certainly not as powerful as she'd be otherwise. And Ames Jarvis? He's given his life to this company. He's seen the good times, the bad times, and all the other times. He'll be interim CEO for the next Stanier, and if she fails to work the Stanier out, then he's a shoe-in for the post. The board likes him, and he'll be a great CEO. She sighed and shook her head. If she can run the company, then okay. But at the moment, she's a spoiled rich kid who's going to have a straight shot at the cookie jar. We have a stanier to prove to her that she's not ready to step into Daddy's shoes. Now, where do I fit into this? Well, Captain, you're about to become independently wealthy and beached. The smart money would bet you'd buy a ship of your own and go indie. I snorted. I've priced ships. Even used, they're not cheap. And there's insurance, pay, papers, cargo. The tab is pretty steep. But you thought about it. She nailed me with her eyes. I thought about it. DST is in an odd position, Captain Wong. We've lost our leader, and we're going to be fat on cash. In a few weeks, we're going to have at least two-thirds of the crew of the William Tinker retire. And those are going to be people who are hard to replace in the short term. Some of the officers will stay, and probably some of the senior ranks... Captain Delman, of course, since he's not eligible for prize money. I nodded, still not sure where this long and winding path led. We're planning to consolidate crews, mix, match, and hire where we can, but we anticipate that we'll be putting a ship up for sale. What kind of ship? Funny you should ask. She grinned at me. Want to take a walk? Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation of Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.